Well, good evening. And you did indeed sing better when you were standing. So <laughs> take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Ruth as we study together and have arrived at this spot in the narrative where the kinsman redeemer has now been identified. And it is a good place for us to study together as we uh, see Ruth in the field of grace. And so grace becomes our uh, driving theology tonight. And there's really two sides that we could see in uh, application, although grace doesn't change. We understand that. And grace is grace, and it's unmerited favor to those who do not deserve it. That is the definition of grace. But there are those who live in light of grace and those in need of grace. And so we could also see where there's elements of application on both sides this evening. But as we do so, we're going to begin with this uh, short example of the difference between grace and earning something. And uh, the Wisconsin State Journal several years ago interviewed uh, personnel managers of some of the nation's largest corporations. And they asked for their most unusual experiences during the interviewing process. And here's a sampling of some of the results. The first one is the interviewer was challenged to arm wrestle. I can't imagine somebody coming in for a job and saying, give me the job, let's arm wrestle. <laughs> uh, that's what happened. As if it, arm wrestling had anything to do with getting the job. The other one, I could see this happening today. Another one wore headphones and the interviewer could hear music playing through the headphones as he was trying to ask questions of the interviewee. And when the interviewee was asked to remove them, the applicant explained it was no problem because he could listen to both at the same time. But yeah, no, you can't. <laughs> Another one, a bald-headed applicant suddenly excused himself, and he left in a hurry. A few minutes later, he came back wearing a full toupee that evidently he had left in the car. Another one, a young woman said that she had not had time to eat her lunch before arriving, and so she opened up her hamburger and french fries and began to eat those during the interview. Another dozed off during his interview. <laughs> Strangely bizarre was the guy who explained that he had never actually finished high school because he had been kidnapped and kept alive in a closet in Mexico. Needless to say, none of these individuals landed the jobs that they wanted. When it comes to getting the job you believe you deserve, it doesn't really have anything to do with grace. It has everything to do with earning the job you get. And that is where the difference between earning and grace comes in. The average Christian who picks up the book of Ruth will do so with one of our problems in appreciating the sheer beauty of God's grace in their life by assuming that everything that happens to Ruth is something that she deserved. We think of how she ended up in the fields of Boaz. Well, certainly she deserved that. No, that was by grace. We think that because Boaz is immediately smitten with, with Ruth, that that was indeed what she deserved. And as we studied last week, there's not a single paragraph, not a single word which speaks to the beauty of Ruth. Not one. Not one word that says that Ruth was beautiful to behold. 
When we assume that everything that happens to Ruth is something we, that she deserved, we assume that we should pity her because that she deserves that. But indeed, our pity is simply grace as well. And obviously, the fact that Boaz treats Ruth with kindness, we would say, especially in our culture today, that she deserved that. But indeed, culturally speaking, Ruth did not. That was grace. Ruth deserved none of the favor of Boaz and none of the favor that he will show her as we continue to move through the narrative. She's an outsider, a foreigner, a former idolater, and a destitute woman, a widow even, with absolutely nothing to offer him except gratitude. That is it. She didn't earn it. And as we'll see today, it is essential that we understand the key issues, the tenets of grace. And so this evening, we're going to see grace woven throughout our outline as we're going to begin to study deeply this element of grace. And it reminds us, I'm actually going to uh, take us to the New Testament a little bit tonight, off and on as we understand this. But listen to these familiar words as I turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5, and then skipping down to verse 7, the Scripture says this, beginning in 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 7, so that the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let's begin this evening in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you tonight as those who recognize that the grace that has been given to us is completely undeserved. Lord, it is easy for us to look around in our culture today and adopt the cultural context and say that we deserve better than we have received. Indeed, we understand that no, we do not. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were enemies, Scripture tells us. And yet you loved us with a love that would allow us to grab hold of a Redeemer that we did not deserve, that we did not earn, for a price that we could not pay. So Lord, we praise you for the gift of grace, the gift of faith that you have given to us. And tonight as we see this lived out in the life of Ruth and Boaz, we praise you for the Old Testament example of a kinsman redeemer, the only one in the Old Testament, the one that would point us to Christ. So Lord, we praise you for the time we could spend in your word and this narrative that is so impactful it is a rich love story between Boaz and Ruth, and it is a rich love story between Christ and the church. We recognize that, of course, that is looking ahead, but that as we look back to the example of the kinsman redeemer, we are overwhelmed with gratitude of the grace that you express to us. Now, Lord, I pray that as we study this grace, we would understand what it means to live in light of its great truth. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor for it this evening, and we ask your blessing on our time and your word, that you'd give me the words to speak, that they'd be from you. Give us hearts to listen and obey, that we'd be followers of you in faithful obedience. Lord, we love you. 
We thank you for all of these things, and it's in Christ's name that we pray them. Amen. This evening, we jump in to Boaz demonstrating grace here in Ruth chapter 2, and I again remind you, as I did just a few moments ago, that as we look into this account and this narrative, we certainly have the events that are unfolding, and there is a true, genuine love story that has indeed taken place. This is historically what happened. We also recognize that it is pointing us to help us understand this idea of a redeemer and a kinsman redeemer. And so therefore, we see the coming Christ. But it is not allegory, and we do not take it as such. It is literal for us, and so we apply it literally. We understand that in application, then, there are two elements of grace that we need to understand, that we need to apply. One is, if you do not yet know Christ as Savior, we see the elements of grace that Ruth does not deserve, that Boaz demonstrates to her, and a gracious loving kindness that is given to her. And so therefore we say amen at the grace and the demonstration thereof, and we're going to see highlights of that. But our primary focus tonight is that we're going to look at the application that pertains to those who already know what grace is about. And so there are pieces that overlap, and we certainly celebrate what God has done for us, and we will identify with Ruth often throughout the narrative as it flows out this evening. In identifying with her, we recognize that what happened to her is unique and distinct to her relationship with Boaz, but it also does point us to our relationship with Christ. And so we want to catch those application points that draw us between the two so that we can understand what it looks like for us to have a Redeemer and the grace that has been demonstrated to us. And so we will bounce back and forth to the New Testament a little bit this evening to see how this unfolds. We begin in Boaz demonstrating grace to Ruth, and we start in chapter 2, verse 14, and we're going to read through verse 18, and then we're going to come back and take it apart. Verse 14 says this, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So he sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain, or so rather she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, she also brought out and gave her what food she had left after being satisfied. And so uh, we begin here as Boaz begins to demonstrate grace to Ruth. And we've already seen actually some grace that has been demonstrated. We're going to go back and look at that in verse 8 in a moment. There's a number of principles of grace that are going to be worked out as we close out the chapter, Lord willing, this evening. First, we recognize that grace is that which is serving one who does not deserve it. Boaz serves Ruth. Remember the roles. The roles are such where Boaz is the landowner. 
He has arrived at the field to check in on how the harvest is going. He is the one, when he arrives at the field, everybody lifts their head and says, Ah, he has arrived. The owner has arrived. The one we work for has arrived. The one who pays our salaries has arrived. The one who owns where we are working has arrived. Ruth is a Moabitess, widowed, a former idolater. We're seeing the elements of the work of God in her life already. And we've seen her humility. We've seen her love and care for Naomi. We certainly see a change in her as she points to the things of the Lord throughout this entire narrative, one of the few who have to this point. In fact, one of two who has through this point, Boaz being the other. Ruth has arrived by verse 8 in Boaz's field, and she is gleaning there when Boaz notices her. And when we come to verse 8, notice that Boaz is the one who initiates the conversation. Verse 8 of chapter 2 says this, And Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in, any, in another field, or leave this one, but keep, a close, but keep close to my young women. So it is Boaz who initiates the conversation. Ruth would have culturally not been permitted to do so. And not only would it be culturally, but status-wise, she would not have been able to do so. The gleaners are those who are impoverished. They are there because they can't make ends meet in any other way. They have nothing of value to offer to the landowner, or they would simply buy the grain once it has been threshed out. Ruth is there to pick up what cannot be harvested by the reapers, by the Levitical law, and to scrape together enough for the day would have been victory for Ruth. To scrape together what they needed for a week would have been grand abundance for Ruth. That is the kind of poverty that she and Naomi have found themselves in. But in verse 14, as we move through verses 8 through verse 13 last week, verse 14, we already notice that there's some shocking conversations going on in the narrative. Boaz, Boaz has spoken with Ruth. That is two, scale, two sides to the scale. But as Boaz is speaking with Ruth, what Boaz does next catches every one of the reapers, every one of those who are gathering water, everyone who's been preparing the meals, everyone who's paying attention, those who are gleaning as well, everyone who's there suddenly lifts their head to Boaz's voice. Listen to what he says, verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. Boaz, again, reaches across the cultural lines and speaks to Ruth. Grace has already been demonstrated in this account, but imagine the shock of this action. It's hard for us because we are typically people who are more aware of those in need, and we see it in our ministry to Mel Trotter and uh, our ministry in other places. Perhaps you are one of those who, as you pull off the, the highway and you pull up 
uh, to like 28th Street or one of the other places where you're often encountering panhandlers and you come to the top there and maybe you're one who ignores the person there. You're like, don't look at me. I'm not looking at you. <laughs> or maybe you're one who's very generous and you come to the top there and uh, you say, well, I've got a couple dollars I'll, I'll give to them. Or maybe you've gone and bought a meal. Uh, I've done that on many occasions where I've, I've taken a meal to somebody who's clearly destitute and in need. So that is part of our culture, but it was not part of Boaz's culture. Boaz didn't rub shoulders with those like Ruth. But here he is inviting a gleaner to his plate, to his skillet that has been preparing the food for Boaz. Imagine the shock as at the voice of Boaz, every eye goes, what? What's he doing? The object of his attention as he's speaking is not one of the reapers. It's not one of his countrymen. It's the Moabite widow. This may be hard for us to understand in our culture, but this kind of access is not granted to Ruth. This was grace stepping through. The closest that I could come in helping us understand this truth, if you were to go to London today, and you were walking the streets of London, and you came up to the palace in London, and you, you know that the king is there. Now we talk about the king, not the queen anymore, but uh, you know the king is there because they fly a flag that indicates that the king is present at the palace. Can you imagine you've walked up to the gate and uh, they won't let you in because they don't let you in. <laughs> so you walk up to the gate and you see the king come to the window and you're waving at him to come and greet you. Will the king greet you? You will probably meet one of the royal guard pretty quick. But imagine if the king were to come down and have conversation with you and then open up the gate for you to come in and enjoy a feast at his table. That's a similar kind of difference as to what we have here. Boaz has stepped out of the cultural norms and he's welcomed in one who does not fit, that this kind of access is not granted to. But grace extends even further as Boaz serves her. Even to have Boaz speak and grant her the unique privilege of gleaning near the reapers in the field in verse 8 was very, very gracious. But in verse 14, Boaz offers her a meal. He seeks to serve her need. The construction implies here that Ruth didn't have a lunch of her own. So Boaz sits down and he notices that none of the reapers are in need, but he notices Ruth and she's not eating anything. Remember, she's come in just for a short break, and he notices that she's not eating anything. So thinking of the love story that's unfolding, uh, this is technically their first date. It's a group date. There are others who are there. But Boaz says, I want you to come over and eat of my bread. 
this is the first date. But Boaz, notice what he does in verse 14. In the middle of the verse, so she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Boaz has bought lunch and he's bought more than she needed. Order anything off the menu. All I have is roasted grain, but have as much as you want. Boaz has given to her what she did not deserve culturally, would not have received culturally. And as he's passing her in this moment that has not happened by accident, nobody who's watching these events miss their implications. This is Boaz tenderly brushing off out of the skillet some of the roasted grain for Ruth. And you can imagine that in this tender moment, there were glances that were shared. That there was a a notice of intention as Ruth begins to observe the care of Boaz for her, undeserved, unwarranted, and yet nonetheless loving and tender. And Ruth eats until she is filled. We may pass that by because of the culture that we live in, but I think it's an important distinction that Samuel draws out for us as he's writing. Samuel is telling us that the poor widow who was out gleaning earlier that day has eaten until she was satisfied. Boaz did not leave anything left undone. This may have been the very first meal that, Na- that Ruth had eaten until she was full since she arrived in Bethlehem. When she left Moab, she probably felt hunger pains every single day until she sat with Boaz. Ruth eats until she was filled. And so we recognize here that grace is that which serves us when we may not even be aware of our need for grace. Ruth certainly wasn't expecting it, wasn't deserving it, and yet grace reached to her as Boaz begins a conversation with her, and then he takes care of her needs. And it also reminds us as he secures her provisions, not just for the meal, but as we recognize, as we continue through, he not only gives her grace in offering her food to eat, but verses 15 and 16, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed the young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her, and also pull out some of, from the bundle for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. This is the image, and, and remember, we've seen this image before. You have the sickle that they grab the barley, and they're harvesting the barley at this point. We'll see it later in the text this evening. They're harvesting the barley. They grab the barley. They bunch it together. They slice it with the sickle, and in slicing it with the sickle, they wrap it up and set it aside for the next wave to come through and pick those up. And then they would harvest those, putting them on a wagon or a cart and hauling them up to the threshing floor. And in this moment, we see that Boaz says to the reapers, I want you to leave some of those behind. I want you to pull out some of the sheaves 
I want you to leave those. So cut them and leave them there. If you've ever been, and I appreciate our, our image that we have used, you can't quite see it in this one, but the original image for the book of Ruth is some stalks of wheat, and you see it's picture, an up-close picture of a wheat field, and, and you notice the head of the wheat is it's, it's really about that long, and there's not a lot of grain in that, and there's a lot of shaft that goes with it that has to be threshed out. So there's not a lot of grain there, and and the way the gleaner would come through is it would be single stalks that the, as the harvesters or the, the reapers would grab the clump and they would slice, they may miss one. And that one would just stay there and they would leave a, a number we recognize as the Levitical law required for the gleaners to come through and clean that up. But that's one stalk for every ten. And you could guarantee that those stalks weren't in easy clumps to get unless it was left at the end of the field and and so Boaz tells his reapers, I want you to cut it, and I want you literally to throw it to Ruth. I want you to give it to Ruth. This is a third act of grace that is seen by Boaz to Ruth. We see Boaz provide for Ruth's needs. She gets up, interestingly enough, Samuel provides this information, she gets up before everybody else does. Did you catch that? She's been eating lunch. Boaz has gone over. He's given some of his lunch to her. She gets up before the reapers do because Boaz has a conversation with the reapers. She has work to do. She has to provide for herself and for Naomi, and it's going to take all day to get enough for that day. So she goes back to work. Boaz instructs as Ruth leaves, Boaz instructs for her, for her provision there to be extra grain left for her. This is not normal behavior. And this is that part where the teenagers, the, the young people, maybe earlier than teenagers, are like, come on, Boaz, just ask her out. <laughs> this is, there's a relationship developing here, and everybody sees it. You can imagine the reapers like, it would be easier if you would just let us do our job. Just go provide for her, Boaz. But Boaz says, leave it there, and we're going to learn another lesson of grace as we do so. Ruth continues to work unaware of the grace that has been demonstrated to her. Now, we've learned three principles of grace to this point, and I want to pull us out for some application. It makes you contemplate how often you work unaware of the plan of God's grace to you. Ruth is out here. She's relatively new to the whole idea of gleaning, at least as far as we can tell. That's not a Moabite practice. It is an Israelite practice. It's because of the Levitical law. Here she is gleaning, and she is only trying to get just enough food to survive the day. She has no idea of the parameters of gleaning. She's been instructed on the Levitical law at some point because she understood the need, and she's the one that insisted to go glean. But other than those details, the barley harvest being one of the earliest harvests of the summertime, she is now beginning to work diligently, and she's rising up. She took just a few minutes for lunch, and she's back at the field. She's working hard. And she's unaware of the plan of grace that has been demonstrated to her. 
How many times do we miss God's plan of grace to us? Maybe we're aware of it, but we're not keenly aware of it. God is at work in our lives, and we look back and we reflect on it uh, after the events, post the events, and we begin to say, wow, look at the grace of God demonstrated to us. We're going to have that opportunity as Boaz's grace is going to be evident by the time we're done here this evening. We're going to continue on for the sake of time, and we're going to see Ruth respond, and this is the next element that you and I need to respond to in grace as well. Notice verse 17, she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Let's stop there for a moment. Notice Ruth's diligence and discipline. Ruth's diligence and discipline. Warren Wearsby writes this. He says, God works, for, uh, or God works in us, excuse me, God works in us, for us, and with us. J. Vernon McGee quipped, so many Christians sing at the top of their lungs, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, and then go out and do nothing. That is two different kinds of responses. One that is responding in truth to grace and one that is responding in indifference to grace. If God is working in us, for us, and with us, there ought to be the results. And McGee, J. Vernon McGee, is saying, so many Christians are saying, bring in the sheaves, and they are forgetting that it's their responsibility to respond to go do the work. Ruth doesn't forget that. Whatever she understood, whatever she contemplated about what was going on before her, Ruth kept gleaning. She kept diligent at her work. And when she was done gleaning, she threshed it out. Now I mentioned the, the size, and we're talking wheat. Barley's even smaller than the wheat heads. And so when you are threshing out the barley, uh, she gathers it together after all day. She's been gleaning. The scripture says that she gleaned in the field until evening. That means she's arrived at the threshing floor, uh, perhaps the threshing floor or a nearby place to the threshing floor. And as she's arriving there to thresh it out, she now has a pile of barley to thresh out. And the way the threshing out would work, if you were sophisticated like Boaz was sophisticated, you would actually have animals who were walking over the top of the grain and they were dragging logs or heavy stones across to crush out the grain from the chaff that was there. And then you would throw that up into the air and you waited for the breeze to pick up and the breeze would carry, it, carry off the chaff and leave the heavier seed behind. That's what threshing was all about. That's what was odd about Gideon, if you remember, where Gideon was threshing out his uh, grain that he had gathered together. He was at the wine press. Well, at the wine press, that's at the bottom of the hill. You want to take heavy grapes to the bottom of the hill, smash them. And so today, if you were to travel to Israel, you don't look for wine presses at the top of the hill. You look for them in the valleys because that's where they'd all been collected and they'd be collected in a vat and they would be squished there, and the juices would flow over into another vat where they'd be collected. The threshing floor was up near the top. You took the grain to the top because that's where the winds were strongest. The winds were strongest towards evening, but Ruth has gleaned through the evening. 
And now she's arrived at the threshing floor and she threshes out, probably with great work, the grain that she had gleaned that day. And she threshes out an ephah of barley. An ephah of barley is about, some of your Bibles will probably say something like three-fifths of a bushel. Three-fifths of a bushel, and today we don't really understand a bushel so much, so let me put it this way. It was roughly 25 pounds of barley. Barley doesn't weigh very much. So 25 pounds of barley is a significant haul. In fact, 25 pounds of barley would have been enough for Ruth and Naomi to live for a month. That's how much she gleaned in one day because of Boaz's care for her. But she worked hard. She threshed out after a long, hard, hot day. She heads heads for home. It's interesting to me that at this point, Ruth does not ask the reapers who are certainly done doing their work for the day. She didn't say, hey, can you come over here? If we all work together, we'll get this done. Ruth doesn't ask that. She doesn't say after it's been threshed out, hey, would you mind 25 pounds? I've got to walk all the way back into Bethlehem with this grain. And it's a long way. Would you mind carrying it for me? She doesn't ask that. In fact, if you were to travel with me to Bethlehem and we see where we believe Boaz's fields to be, she has about a three-mile walk back to Bethlehem after she's worked all day, threshed through the later evening hours. She now has to walk three miles back to Bethlehem with what she's gleaned. The relationship is an interesting illustration of the work of the church, the relationship between Boaz and Ruth. We toil to advance the gospel because we are commanded to go, therefore, and make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them. And this is the collaboration between Christ and the church. Jesus even pointed to that collaboration in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, when he said this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus is pointing to this same kind of collaboration, and you and I are responsible for it. When we know Christ as Savior, we are the recipients of God's grace, but that does not mean we shout to somebody else, hey, why don't you come thresh my grain for me? Why don't you come thresh it, we'll work together, we'll we'll get it all up, and then why don't you carry it for me back to Bethlehem? You and I each have a responsibility in light of grace to obey the commandments that God has given to us. And that is what Ruth is doing. Her response to grace is she worked harder. Had she gleaned only what she would have gleaned on a normal field, she wouldn't have had near as much to thresh and very little to carry back. But she's working harder. Jesus reminds us of that truth as well. And so there's a response. We've learned three principles of grace to this point, and those three principles of grace draw us into recognizing we have a role to be diligent and faithful in our discipline in following after the grace that God has given to us. But let's move on because now we're going to have the kinsman redeemer identified for us. Notice verses 18 and following. Verse at the end of verse 18, she also brought out and gave what food she had left over 
after being satisfied. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. The kinsman redeemer is about to be identified. But grace, the grace that was given to Ruth, is that which also spills over to Naomi. And what a wonderful truth this is for the believer. When you have responded to the things of the Lord by the grace of God, when you've responded to that, it spills over to others. Not for their salvation, but that they may see Christ in you. That they see the grace of God demonstrated to you. And that is indeed what happens. And remember who Naomi was. In chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, and coming into chapter 2, the end of chapter 1, she says to her friends in Bethlehem, call me Myra because I am now bitter. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Myra because now I am bitter. For the first time in the narrative, in chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, she praises God. Myra, the bitter one, says praise to the Lord. That is a significant change. Ruth reaches home with the grain, which measures out to be an ephah of barley, most of a bushel, and enough grain to last the two widows a month. She also took out the last of her lunch. That is, Ruth takes out the last of her lunch and she feeds it to Naomi because she still had some. So uh, that little doggy bag that you take home, the extra little container, that's what Ruth did from Boaz's lunch. Like, I've got more. Here, here I brought you lunch home. And so she gives that to Naomi, and grace demonstrated by Boaz spills over to Naomi, and Naomi is encouraged, but there's more to the story. And R Naomi takes one look at the grain, and she knows that something is happening, and she, she asks, whose field did you glean in today? And in that question, she begins to burst forth in praise, because she says, blessed be the man uh, who took notice of you, verse 19. And she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And notice verse 20, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Naomi suddenly goes from Myra Back to Naomi, as she praises the Lord, as she gives thanks to the Lord for the grace that was demonstrated. This is the first time in the narrative that Naomi praises God. And seeing the grain and hearing the name of the landowner, Naomi has wedding bells going off in her head. Right? Did you catch that? Naomi immediately thinks, he's one of our redeemers. He's shown kindness to Ruth. As we will see as we move through the narrative, that was not required. Boaz could have said no. 
we know that another Redeemer did. But as the narrative begins to unfold, Ruth is given grace from Boaz, not because she deserved it, but because Boaz extended it. And not only did he extend it to her, it continued. And the wonderful truth about grace is that it continues. The end of verse 20, we understand what Naomi understood. Up to this point, Naomi didn't know. Remember, chapter 2 started for us with a bit of a cultural cue for us. And we looked at this twice. We looked at it a couple weeks ago, and we looked at it again last week, where it starts by telling us that Boaz is a relative of Elimelech. And now we know why. Naomi didn't know it until the end of the day. Ruth didn't know it until the end of the day, who Boaz really was. But it's interesting, as we look into verse 20 and beyond, that Naomi's joy is not based on Ruth, her testimony, or her experience. Now listen carefully. Grace is not based upon your testimony or your experience or anyone else's. What Naomi's joy and hope was found was actually found in Boaz, who he is. He is the Redeemer for them. What he said to Ruth, and that he showed grace to Ruth, and what he could do for both of them. Now remember, Boaz is helping us point to Christ. Our hope, our joy, is not based in experience. You can have all kinds of experiences, good and bad. Our joy and our hope is found in Christ. Who He is. What He has done. And what He will do. For those who did not deserve grace. That's where Naomi identifies this. She pulls it out. And she rejoices and praises God, not because of Ruth. Not because of the month's worth of food that she just brought home. But because of who Boaz is. Because Boaz is the Redeemer. This is a critical truth for the believer. Our hope is not based on experience or testimony. We do not pin our hopes on any buddy or anything other than Christ and what he has already done for us and what he has promised to do for us his church in the future grace would continue throughout the harvest Naomi would keep Ruth in the fields of Boaz notice verses 21 through the end of the chapter and Ruth the Moabite said besides he said to me you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest and Naomi said to to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So Ruth says to Naomi, by the way, Boaz wants me to come back tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and Naomi says, don't go anywhere else. Don't go anywhere else. Stay in Boaz's fields. The barley harvest and the wheat harvest together would be a combination of six to eight weeks worth of gleaning. And there is something that is noticed because when we turn to chapter 3, we're going to see this. 
We'll reserve this for next time that we're together next week. But there's something that is happening for those six to eight weeks. Imagine the scene every day. The reapers are out cutting grain and throwing some of it into Ruth's hands. And every day at lunchtime, Boaz is opening up his lunch. Maybe not every day, but most days. Opening up his lunch to demonstrate grace to Ruth. Now certainly there is a love going on there and a a kindling of that love. And is there not in God's love towards us? We didn't deserve it. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is grace. That is grace. And notice it continues on for the believer. It is not a one time and it is done. It is something that happens in the life of the believer. 2 Corinthians 9.8 Grace is not fickle. It says, And God who is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. There's a responsibility, and you and I are to be as Naomi, diligent and disciplined to live out grace. But when we see grace extended, let us be those who recognize it. Ruth was protected, and the yield each day was abundant. Can you imagine after eight weeks of gleaning, they've got, they're building grain silos out back because of the provision that Boaz has provided for Ruth. Often, and this is a a last bit of application will be done. Often, we notice the mountaintop experiences in God's grace to us. But let us also be those who notice the grace of God when we walk through the valleys and the hardships. Because grace is not fickle. Grace isn't sometimes and not others. God's grace is is consistent. Let us be those who work with consistency. And again, in closing, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we, even in the beginning of our addressing in our prayer, we recognize your abounding grace to us. Lord, I praise you for the example of Ruth and Boaz, and we certainly see a a love that has been cultivated. We see a time lapse now of six to eight weeks of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and now we're into the middle of the summer. And as we unfold and unpack chapter 3 in the coming weeks, I pray that you would give us a great appreciation and a greater understanding of the role of the kinsman redeemer as exemplified in the life of Boaz. But I pray that it would not just be for our intellectual understanding, but that we would be those who are diligent students of your word, digging deeply into the great truths that we find in the wonder that Christ is our redeemer. Lord, if there are any here tonight that do not yet know you as Savior, I ask that you would convict 
them of their great need to respond to the grace that has been communicated to them. They would recognize that they do not deserve the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, but that Christ paid their price, dying a cruel death that they deserved, and then rising again victorious to give a free gift to be received by faith, not trying to work for it, but accepting the grace that has been given to us. Lord, we praise you that your love is what motivated you to demonstrate grace to us, that it was not any merit or anything that we have done. And therefore, for those of us who have been recipients of your grace, may we now live it out and allow it to spill over to others that they would see the grace of God in our lives and that we would communicate to them that grace that we know. Lord, I pray for those opportunities this week and that each of us would have opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those that we come in contact with. May we be those who are found faithful and obedient, diligent and disciplined as we saw Ruth, watching for not only the mountaintops, the experience of grace, but also in the valleys that we would be those who are diligent and disciplined, sensing and seeing evidence of your grace abound. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this truth that we have seen exemplified in the narrative of Boaz and Ruth. I pray that we would now put it into action and application, that your name would be glorified in all that we do and say. Lord, we love you and we thank you for it. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.